this is Chelsea. Welcome to the podcast where nothing is serious, especially not my advice or Jenny's. Don't take us seriously. And if you do, you might need a reality check, not a lawyer. Welcome to Jack Tan and Snarky. This is Jenny. And I'm Chelsea. And welcome back for our fourth episode. We are excited to chat with you. And thank you to the tens of tens of people who are listening. And we've got listeners in Spain and Australia now. We feel like we've gone global. We have a worldwide audience. So thank you to the both of you. Yes, thank you. Both of you. And anyone else who's jumping in and listening, we are happy to have you here. So, Jenny, what's going on with you? I do want to make a correction from last week's podcast because I did mention a podcast on there called Opportunist, which is an amazing podcast, but I referenced it with regards to the Gwyneth Paltrow storyline. And it wasn't The Opportunist. It was another podcast called Infamous. And on Infamous, they actually do go through several famous people's stories. Like I just listened to the Kardashians one about um, Kylie, I think, her makeup line. I'm not a Kardashians person. I've never watched the show, not a single episode, barely pay attention, but I'm into the podcast. That was the next one. And I was like, here I go. I'm going to listen to that one too. So If you're looking for that Gwyneth Paltrow podcast that I referenced last week, it's going to be on a podcast called Infamous. Okay. I did go back and start listening to the Queen of the Con. Oh, yeah. And listening to the Jen Shaw one. And that was really good because I actually learned a lot that I had not seen or heard on The Real Housewives or in a couple in the Scamfluencers episode that I'd heard about her and then just a couple, maybe another podcast. So I'd heard some new info. And it was pretty surprising. She was just a horrible person to people. Yeah. Like the leaked audio of her like berating her staff and her husband was there and he's just this very quiet, mellow guy mm-hmm. in every episode or scene that he's in. And I just can't believe he would just allow his wife to scream at people like that. It's awful. If you're interested in Jen Shaw and her case at all, it is very interesting to listen in on that because it is awful. And then the way that she has scammed people, yeah. knowing who she's scamming, she made it seem like she was just some innocent bystander yeah. and all of it. But at the end of the day, she was the one who was driving them to get more and more money off of people. They would say, oh, you're a small business. Let me help you run sales. And you're going to buy this $6,000 thing. And then when that didn't work, then you'd buy another $6,000 thing. And they would just keep on bleeding these people dry. And then she treated everybody awful. It was insane. I hate scammers. My grandma got scammed out of oh. a lot of money in her 90s when they called and pretended that my cousin was in jail and they had like enough information to know the name of the tiny city he lived in and And she didn't know any better, so she went to Best Buy and bought thousands and thousands of dollars in gift cards. And she was a very intelligent woman, went to Stanford in the 40s, which was very rare at that time point. And it's just kind of like the Best Buy employees. Like, you've got like this, she's either in her late 80s or early 90s, this lady buying thousands of dollars of Best Buy gift cards. And it's not coming up to you like hey, maybe there's something fishy going on here. Yeah. You know, she started reading the numbers and they got a lot of the money before something happened and someone in the family figured it out and put a stop to it. But the bank was like, no, she like willingly bought it. It's not anything we can reimburse. That is insane that that happens. And it happens all the time. Yeah. One thing that I heard recently is that with the new explosion of AI, scammers are using your kids' voices to get you on the phone and they use their kids' voices to say, mom, you know, they have me or whatever it is, something completely terrifying, right? As a oh, mom absolutely. or a parent to hear your kid on the phone and they say something completely terrifying. These guys have me. 
please give them the money, do whatever you can. And then the scammers say, oh, you got to give us this money, you got to do whatever. So one thing that I saw someone say is have a family safe word. So that way, if they do do an AI version of your kid, you could say, give me the safe word. And then whatever that safe word is that your kid would say it. And then you would know, okay, this is really my kid versus somebody scamming me. I was talking to my kids about it because I was like, this is something that's actually happening now. Yeah. And my son was like, well, wouldn't you just hang up and call me? And I'm like, no, they probably would say if you hang up, they're going to shoot you or whatever it is. So it's a new way of people scamming you. But the thing that you were saying about your grandma was so prevalent. I've heard several people got trapped with that one because they didn't know. And now they're terrified for you and they're thinking about your safety or whoever they were talking about safety. And so it is really a scary and sad thing. And as you get older that you're, you know, your frontal cortex and frontal lobes, that's the part with the reasoning and everything. And that is what degenerates quicker and faster. And, you know, that part goes like, I just, I hate scammers. So I'm with you on it. And it's interesting to me how when people have the opportunity and they have that mindset, they will do it in whatever way they need to. And all we can do on our end is be a little bit vigilant about it and not get scammed with whatever their new process is. Yeah, because I'm going to hunt you down and punch you in the face. Get you in jail because that's where you need to be so you don't scam people anymore. That was this week's tangent. We should have like little theme music for Chelsea's weekly tangent that I'm going to drag us into. I love tangents, though. I mean, that's our life, right? Just little tangents here and there. Yeah, it's a product of teaching middle school for 12 years and they would get you to go off on some tangents so you wouldn't actually be doing work or teaching. They were pretty successful, but I would allow it because I also wanted a break. And so I was playing chess and they were playing checkers. Like, let's be honest. And at the end of the day, tangents are great. Yeah. And we just get right back on track. So it's all good. Yeah. One thing about me is I have massive RBF. So if you don't know what that is, is resting bitch face. But I am also the unfriendliest looking nicest person ever. So even though I look massively unfriendly and have really bad RBF, I am super nice. And so there have been multiple times where I've had people come up to me afterwards and be like, oh, I didn't want to say anything because kind of looked like maybe you were in a bad mood or I just didn't want to say hi or something like that. And I'd be like, oh no, totally. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're so nice. And yeah, that's just the way my face looks. I literally have a sticker on my water bottle that says, nope, that's just the way my face looks. So one time when I was teaching, I was sitting in a job interview, like we were doing interviews for people coming in. And this one girl came in and we ended up hiring her. She was not my favorite person. I did not vote for her to get hired. But she told us later on that she went home and told her husband that if she didn't get the job, it was because of me, because I had a total RBF during the interview. Wow. And she turned out to be a massive piece of work. And so later I was like, well, called that one right. She definitely went home and was like, yeah, you know, you had total RBS and da da da. And she admitted this to you? Yeah. Later on after she got hired, wow. I was like, yeah, but I wasn't wrong, was I? Where's the lie? Where's the lie? It's funny because I actually do have RBF as well. And I have to tell myself sometimes to just do a little smirk, you know, just to bring up the corners of my mouth. Because if I'm at the grocery store or whatever and I'm like fully concentrated, I feel like I'm just like scowling at everybody. Yeah. I look massively annoyed all the time. Like in my car, our babysitter, she's like, oh, I saw you driving. And I've texted her. I'm like, I'm not mad. That's just how I look. I'm sorry. I think it's normal, though. I don't know very many people that have like a pleasant face when they're just not doing anything. You know what I mean? Like most people, when you see them driving, have like... Like an RBF, right? Yeah, I don't know. I just don't look friendly ever. 
but I really am. You are. Friendly. I would never categorize you as someone who's unfriendly. But it's nice because people don't come up and just randomly talk to me. So it's yeah. good. It keeps like a bubble around me, like it keeps a distance. But then I think at my kid's school, sometimes then when parents actually start chatting, they, they're like, oh, wow. Kind of shocked to know I am a nice person. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. I think it works to your benefit. Ben, it does if work people to don't benefit. come up to you randomly and start talking to you. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm kind of in the same boat and I don't even think twice about it. I do think when I'm at Costco, because that is where I go all the time and people are making choices over which coffee to get or something. And I'm like, I use that one all the time. That's great. They're like, well, thank you for recommending it to me. And I'm like, my RBF would be real at Costco. Yours would be awful at Costco. It would just be active. Yeah, it would be an active. ABF. Because <laughs> I'd actively be pissed. Yeah, it was at Costco. hundred percent. You're like, and please leave me alone. And in fact, get away from me. I need to leave right now. Exactly. I hear you. I do a little smile at the edges at Costco because I get but I loved when it was time to wear masks because then I could just completely go blank under my mask and nobody would know. And not that I love actually wearing masks, but I just felt like there was no need to like do a little smile yeah. on the mask because nobody even knew what you were doing. So I'd just be like super grumpy under the mask. No one knew. The nice thing about masks with teaching, there was very little about that. But the only nice thing was that if it was like the dumbest question I had ever heard, because there are dumb questions, was that it somewhat obscured what I was thinking because what I'm thinking shows on my my face. Yes. I would be like, okay, don't react, don't react. And that hit it somewhat. Somewhat. My eyes would roll back in my head and that would be my problem. I mean, my eyes say it a little, but I would just kind of play it around, not be like, okay, mm-hmm. So, but it's middle schoolers. What do you expect? Right. That's a question. I'd be like, let's think about that one for a minute. But I love middle schoolers. So that's my group. They're awkward and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's the best age group to teach. I'm very, obviously, snarky and sarcastic. So it's a lot of fun to teach that crew because for the most part, so are they. Yeah. And they're finding their footing with it, too. So some jokes hit and some don't. And some of them did not get my humor and did not find me humorous. And they had a very long school year. But in the meantime, you got to experience so much slang. I did. And really pick up some good stuff. So I did. I think this is a good transition into yeet this slang. Yes. And if you guys are like, this is so cringe because yeet is so out of style, that's the situational irony, if you will, of this. So Jenny just taught me new slang this morning called On God. On God is kind of the new trend with the kids these days. The youths. The youths. And the thing about On God is it's like I'm telling the truth. So if I were to facts. say it, facts or no cap, right? So it's kind of all oh, on the same. Evolved. Yeah. Yeah. And you can still say no cap. I'm telling the truth. But this is more like I am so serious about this. So if I was to say yesterday, my husband surprised me with a new diamond ring and it was 15 carats and you'd be like, no way. And I'd be like, on God. And that would be like, that is so legit. It's not even funny. I can't say anything more than that. On God, it happened. On God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you'll hear that one going around. Another one is mid. 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 And that's when things are like, Middle. Like, it was all right. Like, how was dinner last night? Uh, it was mid. It was mid. It was all right. It was kind of like halfway. You know, I didn't really care for it. It was mid, right? All right. Like, this conversation is mid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or, you know, if you were a teenager and you went to a dance okay. and it wasn't great, it was mid. It was. I'm going to start using that with my kids 
behavior and attitude. Oh my gosh. Right now your attitude is mid. Oh my On God. Like that? That was beautiful. All of that was beautiful. I love that so much. And you could also say you're really giving main character energy and you're really not there. You know, and main character energy is when you're the star of the show, right? When you like when you walk in the room, you think everyone's supposed to be paying attention to you or like soccer games, right? Somebody comes in and they're the ones who are always trying to get the ball or whatever. They're given real main character energy. Oh, I'm going to use that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And it's not a good thing. It's not like they're no. supposed to have it. Oh, You're, main character energy is not a good thing. Yeah, it's kind of exhausting. Or I mean, you could say it as part of a story, you know, like I, like I just did, you know, like okay. this, one, this one came in, like if she really is the main character, right? Then oh, no, I can see it now with my youngest. Like you are giving main character energy right now. Yeah. Yeah. With your mid-level behavior. I love it. No, you said mid-level. It's just mid. Oh, mid. Yeah. Yeah. But you're getting there. I mean, this is, listen, I may not even be using it right. I'm just doing the best that I can in deciphering from what I'm hearing. Yeah. Please send in any slang to our email address or comment on our Instagram so that we can elevate this podcast with even more slang from the youth. We would love to, honestly, because we're not the end all be all to this. We're just we are our best. At the other end of the spectrum of the end all be all. Yeah. So whatever that is, we are that. My oldest son, who's 15 and a half, he keeps on telling me to stop saying bro. And I'm like, bro just decided to make a turn without a turn signal. And he's like, mom, come on. So I'm getting over the hill on some of my okay. slang these days, too, which is why yeed the slang is perfect because it's kind of over the hill anyways. I thought of you earlier because my sister said it sucks to suck. Yes. And that is one of your favorite sayings, too. I and do like to say that, but I don't say it often, but my husband hates it. So that's not one of those that like it just works its way in because he just doesn't like it. Uh, for those of you listeners, it's very confusing around my house sometimes because the two people I hang out with the most uh, where we live have the exact same names as my two sisters. Oh, that's... And so it's confusing to my husband and my children sometimes when I'm talking about Jenny and Ashley, and they're like, wait, your sisters or Jenny and Ashley? Okay. And so I usually have to refer to people here by their full names mm -hmm. uh, because it is confusing. I have two younger twin sisters, and so it gets confusing. That's actually really funny that the two people that you hang out with most have the same exact names. Yes. Is this a pattern? Do you have other friends in your life that have the same names as your sister? I do not. I do not. But I just apparently want to be around my sister so much, which I do because we're very close, but I just gravitated towards people with their names so I could... I could do that. That's awesome. Well, there you go. Because I, Austin, my husband always makes fun of me because I have a lot of friends with C and K names. Okay. And so that's oh, a lot yeah. like, you know, and, and so he's always like, who are you hanging out with now? I know. It's very interesting. I think friendship in your 40s is very different than your teens, 20s, 30s. Just the dynamic, having watched it change, even watching it with my middle schooler. Mm -hmm. You know, and just seeing kind of those shifts starting to happen. And I've explained to her, like, I have friends that I've known since I was 13. Mm -hmm. And um, just, you know, these could be people that you, you know, transitions all the way through life with. But you really have to put in the work of being a good friend now. And it's hard and people change and you're going to change and friendships evolve and people are not going to always be exactly who you want. And you're not going to always be exactly who you want. And so it's just interesting in your 40s to look back and, and see that. Yeah. And I do think once you have kids, some of the friendships that you have are more out of convenience. A hundred percent. Because your kids' friends, parents become your friends for a while. And then those friendships may go away for the kids. And so then you're in that weird spot of like, were we friends in the beginning? 
are we still friends now? Like, how does that work out? And then as your kids get older, once they hit the teen years, yeah, you don't really have to be involved in their friendships anymore. So then you could find yourself in kind of a, a desert of friendship because if you don't have any good friends that have lasted the test of time, yeah, then it's hard to latch yourself onto your teenagers, yeah. friends, parents, because it's just a whole different space. So I agree with you. And I think it's really cool that you've had friends that have lasted forever. It's just a new season. And it's not, you know, those friendships weren't real when you have those people you were in the trenches with in like the toddlerhood. Mm. Those are the ones that you are really, when you're exhausted and stuff, it's just a totally different friendship with people. Then, you know, when your teens are in middle school or high school and it's different worries and they're driving and they've got new things that, you know, you're worried about with teenagers. You know, I'm not there yet. So it's interesting. Yeah. But it's all those phases. And yeah. You've been through it. Yep. We'll see. They haven't been sick of me yet, or at least not to my face. Yeah. But that's friendship, right? And there's going to be people that you're going to be spending your, I don't know, 70s, 80s with, you know, that, that are going to be around forever. So. And then we'll be new friends because mm -hmm. we won't remember. <laughs> <laughs> They'll always be new. I love it. Oh, it's actually an interesting transition if we go to our next thing. We're going to talk a little bit about MLMs, specifically the MLM that both Chelsea and I were a part of. And I think one huge thing for me when I joined this MLM was that there was this promise of community and of friendship. And I think part of it that really drew me in was that I became really good friends or what I thought was really good friends with my coach, which was the person who brought me in. And then every event that we went to, there was always talk of friendship. There was always talk of this community level of things and this, like, we're always going to be friends. We're always in this together. You know, everybody kind of invests in you and invests in your life. Funny enough, when you leave this group of MLM people, you realize that they're not really your friends at all. And so it's kind of a weird transition when you're getting out of an MLM. And Chelsea's going to talk about what an MLM is here in a minute if you don't know. But it's just an interesting transition when you're on the other side of it and kind of looking back and seeing how maybe those people weren't really your friends in the first place. And that's a little bit hard to come to terms with sometimes. But on the other side of it, there's so much more freedom and less hustle and exhaustion. OK, so an MLM, which is multi-level marketing, is a product or service which is generally not found in stores. So if you've heard of doTERRA, Avon or Mary Kay Tupperware, those are all products that we're not talking about in our experience today as being a part of any of those companies, but companies that you could go and sell either door-to-door -door way back in the day with Tupperware or host parties and sell doTERRA, or you could reach out and do, hey, hun, and have conversations and sell different products to people. And I think what I always found was you were giving a lot of promises or you were getting a lot of hope in these different communities. Mm -hmm. And whether you were selling oils or you were selling Pampered Chef kitchen things, a lot of people were drawn in because they wanted community. Mm -hmm. And all of us want community, whether we were military wives. I know that MLM are huge in military circles, which I was a part of mm -hmm. for many years because we move around so often. It was hard to get hired as a teacher when you've worked in three different states as a teacher every year and a half because you're not someone who is consistently there and they don't want to hire someone who could move during the school year. So an MLM is a business that could travel with you. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these communities for multi-level marketing are designed to move with you and be your at-home business that you can work during your hours that you're not spending with your kids and 
They give you this hope and this promise of like, flex your hours and make it work for you. And it's generally anything but, but it's for that mom who's in the trenches and in that hardest part of her life stage, I generally see for young moms or people who are really just looking for any sort of extra income to help make ends meet. And they lure you in with this, you know, we are a group and we're in this together. You are not by yourself. And that's generally when, you know, you want the most support. And then you find yourself, if you finally take a step back or you decide this is not for me anymore for whatever reason, take a step back out and you are on your own. You're in the woods by yourself. And that's the sad thing, too, is what you're talking about is people who have vulnerabilities in one way or another. And the MLM comes in and says, hey, I'm going to fill that gap. I'll be there for you. I'll take care of you. And the sad thing is, is that when you're part of an MLM, you are taught and trained to do that. And I'll say as part of our MLM, we did a kind of an assessment before we actually like pitched what we had for people. And during that assessment, you ask them a bunch of questions about themselves. And then when you do your pitch, you angle your pitch towards filling in the gap for whatever it is. So if they're saying, you know, I feel insecure about this, then you could say, oh my gosh, I felt insecure about that. And what I found was that our products, this or that, helped me out so that I could feel better about myself. So it is kind of predatory in that MLMs are finding people where they are the most vulnerable, where they're the most hurting, and they say, hey, I've got you. By taking this product, by doing this thing, by joining our group, we'll make you feel better. And then it lulls you into this idea of like, oh, this is going to be the answer to all of my problems. And then there's some that are so incredibly predatory, like LuLaRoe, that they have entire documentaries where, you know, I can mention that and most likely not get sued because there's an entire docuseries on Amazon about it and entire platforms dedicated to just how unscrupulous that behavior was that went on in that MLM. But I think you're right. They target people. And if you think, well, I'm way too smart to get caught up in that, it has nothing to do with intelligence whatsoever. Some of the smartest people I know are high up in those. And same with, I almost link it with cults because they want you to be sleep deprived when you go to these events that they have. They want you always busy. They want you always in deep in their kind of indoctrination of their product and their product lines and their family, so to speak, because that's the way they get you in. And it has nothing to do, again, with intelligence. It's all about finding people who are generally empaths who want to help other people be incredible versions of themselves. That's generally what I saw in people um, who were in MLMs. I totally agree with that. And I think the other part of it is it is kind of like the frog in the boiling water, right? You get in and you think that's not going to be me. Or maybe you don't even really see it. You just kind of are like, oh, this is going to be an interesting business opportunity. And then as you get a little bit deeper, as you go a little bit more, you're not realizing it, but then you're slowly saying all the same things and doing all the same things and acting the same way. And they're telling you to do these things. That's part of it, too. You go to these events. So I was in my MLM for six years. And so I went to several events a year. And when I would go to these events, they tell you exactly what they're doing, you know, but it's more in the like, see what you could accomplish because I've accomplished this. I am so up there in my position, in my rank. I've done all these things. This is how I did it. And so you're watching these people and they're encouraging you to dream bigger, to do more, to talk to more people, do whatever it is. And you're not realizing that the water's boiling and you're not ready to jump out or you can't jump out or you positioned yourself into a place where financially, if you've gotten there, you maybe can't even, even if you see that the water's boiling, it's like, I can't get out because I've 
retired my husband, which basically means you've made enough money to bring your husband home. But have you? Like, are you doing the numbers? Do you know where you're at financially and all of these things? So I think slowly over time, it's not that people are dumb. It's that people are very intelligent, but they just slowly bring you in and the water gets turned up a little bit more and a little bit more. And before you know it, you're boiling and you're not sure which direction to go. And it's also entirely intentional by the people at the very top. They know what they're doing. They want you to be immobile and unable to leave. You have to be reliant on them for income because you've retired your husband or your family needs to have that income from you. And so you've left your job from teaching or you've left your job from X, Y, or Z advertising. And now you're just doing this one job and you can't leave because you don't have a backup and you don't have a safety net. And so you have to do it. That's totally exactly how they do it, too. And before you know it, when you're having those conversations with your upline and they're asking you to dream bigger, it's like, what's the next thing? I had coaches in my downline that were making enough money to potentially quit their job or would have wanted to at some point. And so it was always this idea of like driving them to Annie up more. Like, what else are you going to do? It's this idea of like, there's never enough. It's mm-hmm. never going to be good enough. It doesn't matter if you are happy with just making $500 a month. Well, what's the next thing? What are you going to do to dream bigger, to do more? Who else are you going to bring on? Like, there's always something else to strive for, too. Yes, because there's going to be a tipping point where you can no longer reach out to the amount of people within your sphere of influence, as they would call it. And there's going to be a saturation of the amount of people in your sphere of influence, especially if you're just going to keep reaching out to the people you know and the people they know that overlaps. It's going to be a point where there's nobody left and you then reach out to strangers. But I don't know enough about how successful that is. I was not a successful person in this MLM. I did not have the buy-in that Jenny had. I did not ever go to any of the events because I am not a event rah-rah, shishkumba type person. I would be like, nope, don't put me down for that. I'm not going. I will not be cheering and following along and going, woo, and I will sit here with my RBF and not engage. And that would have taken all of my energy as an introvert. That sounds like the worst case scenario for me as something to pay to do, to go around a bunch of people and be exhausted. That is not filling my cup. That is emptying my cup out in the desert. So I never went to those. And not because I didn't want to hang out with Jenny and her group of friends, but because that sounded not fun. Just to kind of go back a little bit about the beginning of my story. Yeah, sorry. This is a health and wellness MLM. And I started in kind of June of 2017 when I was looking to lose some weight. And so this person started posting on their Facebook page and did like kind of a before and after. And I was like, what is she doing? I need to be in on that. I need to lose some weight. I was desperate because I had been injured, so I hadn't been able to work out. And so got on a call with her as she's telling me about this product. I am like in the back of my mind thinking, I want to do this. I want to become a coach. I want to do what she's doing because it seems like it's fun. I love helping people. I've been a personal trainer in the past. I've taught boot camp classes. I've helped people with their nutrition in the past. This is all my jam. And so before we even got off the call, I kind of said, hey, this sounds like something I want to do too. So then it was on. Like it was like, when do you want to buy your coaching kit? When do you want to start coaching? Let's do this thing. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I actually have to try it. Like, I can't just sign up to become a coach the same day I buy this product. I'm going to interrupt you. The fact is that they would have let you. Oh, it was being pushed even then. Like the same conversation. It was like, we could buy your coaching kit and your product right now. Let's go. And I was like, I need... You hadn't even tried it. You'd known about this thing for 30 minutes and you could have signed up as a coach. Mm -hmm. And then with some 
practice or what we'll get to within a couple weeks been coaching people. A hundred percent. Yeah, that was exactly. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's a good point too. And part of it also was that I had to ask my husband because this was a good amount of money. It's this is not cheap to buy the product. And so I had to ask my husband, like, is this something that you're in for? And from his perspective, I had tried a lot of things, not MLMs before. I was never involved in anything like that. But as far as like weight loss things, I had been through the gamut just because I was always looking for something else, which is why this probably fell in line at the exact moment it did, because I was just looking for something else to to try so that I could lose some weight. So that was part of it, too. She's my coach is on the phone with me and she's like, oh, you know, let's do it now. And I'm like, I have to ask my husband. And she's like, what, would, what do you think your husband would say? And I was like, but that's a tactic that they teach. And I remember sitting in a training and they said that, you know, and then here's how you respond to that. So At the time, I was still so new to all of it. And I kind of gave her the pushback and was like, hey, I need to do this thing. I need to ask my husband all the things. And so my husband was like, well, if this is something you want to do, then you need to take out your own credit card. And the credit card is going to be something that you're going to pay off. So if you decide that this is something that doesn't work for you, then you're going to have yard sales. You're going to babysit. You're going to do whatever you need to do to pay that off because that's not going to be on me. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So I bought the product. I waited a week and I lost seven pounds or whatever it was. And then I bought my coaching kit and then it was off to the races. Like me and the coach that was above me, my upline coach who's making money off of me, let's not forget that's what this is all about. Yeah. Is like gangbusters. She is very well trained. Well, yes, but she's very well known. Her sphere of influence is very wide. And she's someone who before joining this MLM was very popular. People knew who she was, knew who her family was and everything like that. So she posted her before and after. And so many people reached out to her that she was giving me clients. She was handing people off to me as I was starting because she was like, I can't handle this load. We're going to get you trained up. We're going to get you going. So she's handing people off to me. I'm learning as fast as I can. We're just going as fast as humanly possible. I just like rocket through all the ranks. Like I am making, I will say a couple thousand dollars the first month or two. I don't know how to like do the disclaimer on that, but like it is what it is. Yeah. And the disclaimer is that 99% of people lose money on MLMs. Yes. And you are in the 1%. Totally the 1%. And if you look at any of the income income disclosure statements, they will tell you that. And that's the bottom line is that there aren't very many people. And I will tell you as someone who was in for six years and had several coaches underneath me, people who were trying to do this, there was one successful one. Like I had one successful coach out of probably 25 coaches. I was not successful in the company's viewpoint, but I made more money than I ever spent as a coach. So I consider that a success as I did not spend more than I made, which is, you know, my return on investment then was over 100 Mm percent, but I wasn't considered successful. But again, I think your story is more impactful because you are part of the 1 percent and not part of the 99 because your story is coming from this is still predatory. And I am telling you and I am not someone who lost money. Yes, 100 percent. And I like that you made the point about making money, because at the end of the day, in this particular MLM, it was easier to make money because we didn't have to stock products. Yeah. In something like LuLaRoe, you have to buy all the stuff beforehand and then you're making money when you sell it. And so this everything's handled by the company. They would say, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You're owning your own business. But really what we were, were 1099 contracted distributors. So we were making sales, went through the company and then they paid us commission off the sales. So it's not anything more than that. And so when I say successful, I'm thinking more like rank or people who built their downline underneath them. But with regards to 
to making money, it was easier to make money in this particular MLM without going under if you didn't go to events and if yeah. you weren't completely sold into doing all the things. Because a lot of times they tell you, you got to be a product of the product. You have to keep on buying the product. In theory, you would lose the weight, but then you'd keep on using the products as advertisement to give away to show people what's going on you know you would post about it on instagram and facebook like holding it so if you didn't have more than five clients you probably were on the edge of not making that much money or maybe going under a little bit financially you always had some product because you'd always let me have like a snack or something like that if i needed something or if i was short i never really had more than five clients at any one time but i had enough to pay for my orders of food so that was generally what i worked towards yeah. Again, I was not Jenny's top. So if we were going on like a rating, like a teacher scale, I was getting like a D minus, but I wasn't her worst coach. No, you were a great coach and you were easy because I didn't have to harass you about anything. <laughs> but that's what it's all about. And that's the sad thing is as you get higher up in the MLM and you have people in your downline, these people need to help you make your rank. And so for me to make more money, I had to have a stable of people underneath me that were willing to and able to get clients and get coaches underneath them. So it's like if Chelsea had a desire to grow, then I would be running with her and saying, okay, Chelsea, how many clients do you have this month? Okay, you have five. Let's see which one of them should become a coach. Do any of them want a coach? And she would go, well, we talk about it. And then I'd say, oh, well, that one sounds like she could potentially coach. Let's get on a call with her and let's celebrate her success on program. And then Chelsea would say, okay, let me see what works. And then we would get on a call with this person which we would call a celebration call. But what the idea is, is that we would get on a call and I would say, oh, you've lost 15 pounds. This sounds amazing. But have you ever thought about coaching? And she'd go, uh, I don't really want to coach. But if you coach, you could maybe pay off all your food. Well, I don't really. Well, would $500 help your family? How much money would it be worth to you? You know, and you pretend like you're going to celebrate this person and their success. But on the other hand, what you're really doing is you're harassing them about becoming a coach. Kind of like how a telemarketer has a response for anything you could possibly say, like a script, mm -hmm. like for A, B, C, D, all the way through the alphabet. And once they veer off on letter, you know, Q, you go, all right, Q, this is where we're leading and this is where we go. Totally. And they do. They train you on how to do it. They train you on how to make the celebration call. They talk to you about it. And I sucked at them. I will say that right off the bat because I was never a recruiter like that. I always felt like if people wanted to be one of my clients, that they would reach out to me. And honestly, I didn't have a problem getting clients, which is probably why I grew so fast. Like people trusted what I said. I believed in the product 100 percent. So it was easy to make that transition. But as far as getting people to coach, I didn't want to harass people. And once I saw what these celebration calls were all about, I didn't really do many of them because I was like, this feels gross. Yeah, I'm not a fan. It's something that I am as a person is I feel like my character is I say what I do and I do what I say. I'm not going to bait and switch you. And Agreed. So it was always so gross to me to be like, let's celebrate you, Chelsea. And then you get on the phone and it's like, I'm going to celebrate you for two seconds. And then I'm just going to batter you with questions about becoming a coach. I think that's why our friendship wasn't impacted at all by me, A, not being a great coach, but also just by working together in this MLM, which I've seen friendships get torn apart, is because you weren't super aggressive. And I am not someone who is a salesperson and I wasn't going out and pitching people. And I was like, very much like you, like, here are the pictures, here are the before and afters. If people reach out to me, great. If they don't, great. Mm -hmm. That was it. 
I was very much shielded from the people above you in that kind of unhealthy dynamic that I could see that was happening, especially towards the end. I never was involved in any part of that, which I'm very grateful for, especially just in seeing lots of other stories of stuff that was going on that I never really even knew about, stuff that you weren't even directly involved with, but just like the stuff that we've seen come out on our own. It's just incredible. If you were interested, if my coaches were interested, then I was like, go and do you. I don't need to harass you. I'll check in every once in a while like, hey, are you thinking about doing something with your business? No? Okay, cool, cool. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. Even though I got the harassment from my upline. Oh, I'm sure. Why I wasn't growing. And the funny thing is that the second I stopped because I became very stagnant and it's not, again, I was making a ton of money. I was bringing on clients left and right, but I didn't bring on a lot of coaches. I had coaches, but I wasn't just like a coach factory. And so once I stopped and became stagnant, that conversation stopped with my upline, too. They were like, cool, you're not moving forward. Then you do you, you know, and it didn't matter that I was teaching some of the trainings or I was always on the Facebook page helping people with questions or people would call me and ask me questions and I would help them out with all of that stuff. It didn't matter any of that. It still was like, oh, you're not advancing in your rank to help us advance in our rank. Yeah. And you're good to go when you're ready to move forward, when you're ready to break through those barriers for us. For us. Yeah. Yeah. Because we need you yeah. to make our rank. So if you can't do it, I'm going to focus on this person who can. And so all of that friendship and all of the camaraderie that we had built over the years didn't mean anything anymore because I wasn't helping them get to the next level. Yeah. And that's the part that makes me like want to kick somebody in the face because, I mean, I worked full time the entire time I was a coach. I was still teaching. I never did really any of the trainings because I was already doing trainings for teaching. I was already in PD. I was already having all of this information thrown to me. I didn't have any bandwidth for any more information coming. And so just the thought that somebody was pushing you to the side and relegating you to that because you weren't immediately advancing their own goal Mm -hmm. is so frustrating as a friend and as a human to like hear that and just be like, wow, like once you weren't giving them something for, you know, away anymore. I don't know. It just it's really. Yeah. But that's part of the unfortunate way that the business is set up and it's structured that way is that you only have a bandwidth for so many things and so many people. And so it makes sense from their perspective to move on from that relationship because it's not going to go any further. They need to continue building and building their stable of people and continue hustling and doing all the work with the people who want to run. And so you find your runner and you join with them and you pretend like your best friends or not even really pretend, but basically you just love bomb all you love bomb them. You call them a rock star. You do everything you can until they get to a place where they are benefiting you. And then it's moving on to the next thing. And they say, now you're trained up to the point where you need to be trained. Now you can go help other people. Now you can build your people. And so they make all these awesome platitudes of like why you move on to the next person. But at the end of the day, they are with you until you get to where they need you to be. Yeah. And then they move on from you. And so they keep you around and like a parasite. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, wasn't a science teacher as a history teacher, but that's what parasites do. Sure. Sure. And when you go to the events, that is where all the love bombing, that is where the, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. It's so exciting to see you. And so when I first started, there was a convention that was literally like the next month. And my upline was like, you need to go to the convention. And and I was like, do I need to go to the convention? And she had said something like, it's just a rah-rah event. So maybe you don't, you know, you're just starting and it's okay. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't really want to go to a rah-rah event. I haven't even made any money really with yeah. program. Is it local? No, it was in Florida, I think. Oh. Yeah. So I would have had to pay the for The opposite that. of local. Yeah. 
And I had just bought a laptop. I mean, there's all these things. Right? Yeah. And so there was a huge financial component to it that I was just like, I'm not ready for that yet. And so I didn't go to that event. And then I had earned a trip to the Dominican Republic. So I was able to go on an incentive trip. You had to pay for. No. And that's oh. a crazy thing. So it was all expenses paid. It was on my taxes. So okay. was, they do make you pay for it as like whatever, how you yeah, yeah. put it in there. But all of that was free. So that was my first event with this MLM. And that was eye-opening to say the least. My husband and I went and he knew what this was. He was just letting me have fun with it. You know what yeah. I mean? And it was like once I actually realized it was an MLM, he was like, I just wondered how long it would take you. But he's like, you're making money. You were enjoying it. Life was good. Like, but I never was was in on it. 100%. Well, he also can't tell you something like you need to know it for yourself. Yeah. And it wasn't detrimental. No. Right? Like I had the credit card that I paid off. It yeah. was never an issue. Right. And so we go on this trip to the Dominican Republic and He's like, it's going to be a work trip. I'm like, it's going to be vacation. It's going to be fine. And we go and my upline's there and there are a bunch of other people there that I don't know. And I will tell you this right now. I do not know most of the higher up people in this MLM, despite being very close to the top. Yeah. In some ways, I knew my line of business. I knew their faces because they were on the stage. I know a couple of people who were way high up there, but I have no idea. They're like, really, for the most part, if people are like, oh, do you know this person? I'm like, I don't know who's, who that is. I only know them now because of the snark reddit page right <laughs> so we go on this trip while we're there my upline who just started like just a few months before me like she was not in this business for a super long time her goal in this entire trip is to talk to everybody and ask them questions which i think is amazing like to have that kind of personality where she was so interested and invested in this her goal was to bring her husband home from his job to work with her she had vision for this and like more power to you you do you. You had this thing. But what happened was is that I was following her around because I didn't know anybody else either. And yeah. I would get into these groups of like really high up people because this incentive trip was for people who really like earned it and like kicked booty and made it happen. And we would go into this group of really high up people and she would be like, let me ask you a question. I can't even tell you what she asked, but it would be like some question about how to handle something or whatever. And I would just be like on the outskirts of this conversation like, oh, uh, yeah. And I'm thinking, I just want to go swim. Right. Where's the bar? I haven't eaten a real meal in like two years, so I want to have some food. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here to hang out and party with my husband, you know, and that got kind of awkward. But part of me is a very FOMO person. I don't want to yeah. miss out. I want to be part of the fun. So even when we went back up to our room to like hang out, I'd be like, I want to go back down and like hang out with everybody. But then when I got down there, I was like, this is so awkward. And they did things like school by the pool where like all of them would be sitting out in their bathing suits, poolside, asking questions about the business. There was like a training there. So it wasn't really like a vacation. It was a work trip. So that was my first event with these people. And then the next event I went to was an event for, again, the higher up people. And I remember sitting in that event and I had my notebook. I had my pen. I was ready to like take notes on all the little things that I was missing. I was waiting for like procedures about how to move people forward and do it. There was not one single training about how to do anything in specific. It was all about mindset. It was all about dreaming bigger. It was all about like, okay, there's A goals, which are goals that you've already done. B goals, which are ones that you probably can do. And then C goals, which are ones that are like so incredibly out of your realm that you would have to push really hard to do it. Now, write down your C goal. You know, and you'd have to be like, I want to pay off my house. Yeah. You know, and now it's like, all right, now how much money does that take? And what can you do to get there? And all this stuff. So it was like a mindset training. That's great as like an opener, like an opening conversation. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. That's not a. It's not it. It's not the bread and butter of the training. 
And that's what it was. And I remember looking at my upline and being like, what are we doing here? Like, what's happening? All I'm doing is getting this mindset training. And then you leave and everybody goes, oh, so amazing. It was so awesome. I just grew so much. And then you start realizing, oh, you have to work on yourself. It's personal development that's going to make you go further in this business. That's what they tell you, right? And so every time you come away from one of these trainings, it's like, they don't really train you on how to do things the A, B, C, D, E, F, G way. They just train you on how to get your mindset around these things. And if you're not walking away saying, oh, this was amazing. This is what I got. Then what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You're the mental block. Mm-hmm. Like you're not coming from a place of yes. Oh, yes. Quote Bethany Frankel, the greatest of all. So, yeah, it's true. And they have a whole thing for that. Like you live above the line. Being above the line is, you know, not talking bad about the company, not saying things. That is really ironic, giving everything I've seen and heard over the last few months of blank, blanky, blankety, blank. Yeah, it's totally true. There was a time when there was like shipping problems and issues with um, they couldn't make all the food and things that they were doing. And so it was like if you complained on the Facebook page, oh, you're living below the line. That's some below the line thinking. You need to check yourself or, you know, your coach would call you and say, hey, so-and-so, one of your downline is posting about this on the page. We're going to delete the post. Can you give them a call and kind of just reframe it for them and help them understand that we are this company. So we don't we don't talk like that. I never understood taking it so personally, like because I never had the total buy in because I had a full time job outside of this. But I just never understood like the taking it personally to that effect. I think it's a product of the system. So if you aren't blindly following everything that this company is feeding you, then it's so easy to see what it is. And so if you are talking down about the company, like this is your bread and butter. This is what it is. Don't forget that you're the cheerleader. You're in front of everyone else saying, you can do it too. Yeah. You can come along with me. Let's all do it together. You could be standing up here where I am. Isn't this what you want? And so you have to be bought in and it has to be 100% or else it's nothing. And that's what happened with me is that I was 100% for a good long time. And then slowly I started not going to the events or I stopped going to the trainings. And it was more because life happened and things were getting in the way. But then I kind of like started looking around and going like, what is this all about? The emperor has no clothes. Yeah. What am I doing here? And in my mind, up until the very end, I thought what I was selling worked. I thought it was great. I was like, this is the solution to all the problems. But then when I started walking away from it, and doing other things, I was like, that's not a solution at all. Like that was terrible. And the thing with this MLM, the idea is that you get on these products, you lose your weight, you develop healthy habits, and you never have to use them again. That's what I was pitched. That's what I was told. That's what I tell other people. And yes, there are people, and I will say like in the single digit percentage wise, who have actually done that, but no one else has. And that was the thing that kept on coming up is that at every event, they'd say, oh, if your waistline is growing, your business is shrinking. Meaning if you're gaining weight and people are seeing you gain weight, then they're not going to want to be coached by you. That makes me see red. Mm -hmm. Like I want to claw the eyes out of the individual who made that statement. Yes. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. The fat shaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And nobody needs any more pressure put on how much their body weighs. Not a single one of us needs to worry about what anybody else's body weighs, the size of your body is, but this product alone, this MLM is 100% tied to the way that you look. You have to post pictures. You have to talk about it. You have to be about this whole lifestyle. You are this product. 
So when I started hearing people talk about it like that, and I started thinking about myself and thinking, you know what? For six years, I've been on this product. Not that I've been 100% on it, mm-hmm. but it was like there were so many cycles of being 100% and then being none. And there was never a place where I felt like I had reached this level that they said, oh, you're going to just know how to maintain for the rest of your life. It just wasn't happening for me. And then I started looking around and it wasn't happening for a lot of coaches. Then before you would go to an event like conventions coming up, you know, six weeks before the convention, everyone's saying, hey, we're going to do a six week challenge, you know, and then everybody would jump on program and order their food. But it's unsustainable long term. It's just not your body's not meant to consume 800 calories a day. A hundred percent. And let's not forget that if your upline is telling you to jump back on program again, guess who's benefiting from that? Oh, we they are. Yeah, they're getting the money from it. So they're saying to you, hey, jump on program again and really tighten it up for convention. And not that they're saying that, but they're saying it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's in minced words, but it's all out there. And at the end of the day, if you do it, if you jump on program again, then they're getting your money and it's all flowing uphill from there. So it comes from the top with these messages and these thoughts and these ideas about your waistline growing and your business shrinking and how you just have to be a product of the product and how you should get back on program so that you can show other people. Because if you're in fat burn, then that's a business in fat burn, which means it's going faster. And so these are the kind of platitudes they say all the time in all these different ways. As I'm slowly kind of removing myself and I'm looking at all these things, I'm going, this is gross. This is not who I want to be. I don't want to align myself with this anymore. And so kind of around January of 2023, I had my surgery for my hip and I was out. Like I could not do my business. I was doing as much as I could. I still had a huge client base, but I wasn't in trainings because it just wasn't working out to get into all the things. And I was slowly starting to kind of look into it. I was Googling like my MLM former coaches, you know, and I wanted to kind of hear from other people. And what kept on coming up and what I kept on realizing was all the little tactics that they use just slowly over time, just dripping in. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just this person. It was everyone's experience. And when I was really in, I could explain it all away because we'd have trainings on how we're not MLMs. No, we'd have trainings on how to deal with the haters. We'd have trainings on how you remove toxic people from oh, life. Oh, it's, it's the toxic people drinking the haterade. Right. And so once you start actually listening to them and they're making sense, It's not that they're haters. Yeah. It's that they're people who see what it is. And so by kind of March, June-ish, I was like, I just can't do it anymore. And I would talk to my clients and just be like, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. You know, I mean, and that's the sad thing, too, is that I was getting clients who had been with me for the six years. I mean, these people, some of the same people that I started coaching with, they were one of my first few clients. And you're like, you're still on it. It's not working. Yes. And they wouldn't listen. And that was the thing. And it's not that I was bashing the company or anything like that. I was being very good. Don't send us a cease and desist. We haven't mentioned you. Nope, exactly. And, And I wasn't trying to be hurtful. I wasn't trying to make people turn away but I would just ask them like do you feel like this is working you know maybe it's time to transition off like what was the last time you weren't on a diet right and think about that and figure it out for yourself but by the time I left I probably had I want to say 40 clients that I just farmed out to other people that's still a significant amount that's still 40 more than I pretty much had at any given time it was huge and it was enough to make a couple it walked away from many though you were still making more of an income than 99% of people at this were making 
And, you know, I think it was earlier than January. I think I really saw the seeds of doubt maybe last fall, just a little bit kind of taking a step back because I took a step back way earlier than that. And I just didn't continue with the company, didn't, you know, redo my coaching and just stepped away. And I slowly saw those seeds of doubt in your head. And I didn't say anything because it wasn't for me to say. It was for you to figure out on your own. Yeah. You know, I remember coming to you and talking to you about it when I finally was waking up from all of the craziness and you were like yeah I came home and I'm telling my husband why didn't she say something to me about it earlier and he's like Jenny no one could say it to you you have to come to it on your own yeah and I was like yeah you're right because there is no way if you know someone who's super in deep in an MLM yeah like I wouldn't have believed it either Mm -hmm. so yeah they have to start seeing it Mm -hmm. and I will tell you I researched my MLM former coaches before let's say like two years ago I looked it up or I would google my MLM's name and just read different people's reviews or experiences with it and a lot of them were negative and I would be like oh well that's just because this person didn't do it right and with coaches that failed, I'd be like, that's because they just didn't follow the system. You have answers to all of this. Yeah. But the reality is, is that it's designed for you to fail. It is. It's designed for you that if you don't jump in and believe 100% and you have a big following and the things are set up for you, you're going to fail. Yeah. It is what it is. Like everybody thinks that, oh, I'm going to be able to do it. But like if you are in an MLM right now, do a profit and loss and see where you're at financially because most people lose money on MLMs, 99% or whatever, right? Yep. And so it is a kind of a pie in the sky idea that you're going to make money Listen in. to anything Roberta Blevins does. She is amazing. Life After MLMs, her podcast. Yes. She has hundreds of podcasts about different people and different MLMs. If you're in an MLM, Google her and see if there's one. She talks about this company that we won't name. Yep. And we won't name it because they're litigious. So I know a lot of people who have gotten out and they have gotten cease and desist. Yep. So I'm trying very hard not to say the name. We're trying to be good about not bringing actual people into this whole thing. But at the end of the day, I'm happy for the experience because now that I'm out, I'm never going to do it again. And I think that's the biggest thing. I made money. I think I maintained a lot of friendships. I I will say that I don't have any coach friends anymore, except for maybe one or two that have stuck around. And the crazy thing is I've had hundreds of coaches that were my friends. You know what I mean? Like, And I think that's the weirdest part of all is that there were people who I would go to events and people would come out of the woodwork and say, hi. And I would think like, oh, I'm so amazing. Like people know me. Like I'm just so amazing. But then when I left, it was just like, okay. yep, don't let the doorknob hit you, you know, and let the door hit you or the good Lord split you. Yeah. And so on the other hand, it's like, OK, now I know what that's all about and I'm good. I think the hardest part for me as your friend was watching your upline, these people who have love bombed you for years and you've had real meaningful conversations and a real friendship. And then when you were like, hey, this isn't working for me right now for X, Y and Z. And it was like, that's it. Radio silence. okay, And that was it. No follow up. Like one conversation sort of with one of two partners. That was it. No follow up. Nothing. After years of literal blood, sweat and tears. And hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours of conversations, text, email, phone calls. You don't even get the benefit of a real conversation, not even face-to-face, Zoom, phone call, text, Mm -hmm. like goodbye conversation. Not even a goodbye, but like a thanks for this. Thanks for the thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars you have helped us make. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all of the energy you've put in. 
and work you've put in with us. Nothing. Yeah. Like you deserved way more than you got. And that was a really shitty way for them to treat you. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully agree with that. And again, it is just one symptom of all of this because I think at the end of the day, they've already moved on mentally. Yeah. But I hope so, they hear this podcast. I hope someone sends it to them and they listen and they look back and reflect. And they hope that they have a period of reflection and go, yeah, I was a crap team leader because a leader you lead until the end mm-hmm. and how you treat somebody at the end is just as important at the beginning. I And I fully agree with that. I don't think I ever really treated anybody like that. And at, at the end of the day, it's so disingenuous. It's all just so disingenuous. Like from the moment you start to the end, it's like there's one reason why we're in relationship and that's for me to make money off of you. But that wasn't your relationship with others. No. And that's why I had to get out because yeah. I once I realized that that's what it was about and it took a long time. I mean, six years is a long time. But once it actually became fully clear, I was like, this is gross and I don't want to do it anymore. And I did walk away from money and I did walk away from friendships and I haven't been happier. Honestly, you know, like I did nothing but post three times a day for six years and I called people every and I did. I'd like was the most regimented coach I could possibly be. And I did the best for my clients. And I can say that with full confidence that like, if my clients had a problem, I would be like the first person to say, let's figure it out. Or if this program doesn't work for you, go and do what works for you. I'm not going to be mad at you. I want you to be the most successful person. And that's my heart in this when I started. And it was my heart all the way through until I was like, this isn't actually what I want to do for people. I want yeah. to actually help people with their health. So peace out on to bigger and better things. Good job. Thank you. So That's really the first part of our story. Next week, we are going to have an awesome guest and she is going to go in a little bit more on her story with this MLM. And I will say she has been on other podcasts and I believe you've listened to it too, right? I have. Yeah. And she was one of the ones that as I was getting out, I listened to her and it opened my eyes to a little bit more of what the scamminess that's going on in this MLM. And I'm excited to hear her share a little bit more of her story with us, too. Yeah, I'm going to moderate more of that because I am the yin to Jenny's yang in that I did not post the three times a day. I never really did any of that stuff. Again, we can tell who I was. I was the C team in all of this. So I'm going to moderate more of the two between the conversation because they were the real stars of this. But I do feel like you saw it. I did. Oh, I saw. I yeah. saw it all. But I never had that buy-in. So I come from a different perspective, but still I can see it. Yeah. Which will be great to have that outside perspective. And I'm probably going to be listening a little bit more and snarking a little bit more yes. on that one, too, because she definitely has a different perspective than I do. And she was way up in the company as well. And she was really good friends with some people who were higher up than my upline. I'm here for the snark. I know. It'll be so good. So. Thank you guys so much for listening along. I know this one's a little bit longer than our other podcasts have been, but we had a lot of story to share. All right. Hear you next week. Bye, guys. Love ya.